When I was a kid, maybe five or six, my parents would take me to the quarry to go swimming. Back then, we didn't have water wings or any of that fancy crap they have nowadays. So I had this rubber ball that I would hang on to, and I would kick my legs and swim out into the deep water. And when I say deep water, I mean really deep water, like a straight drop off like a cliff. I couldn't really swim, but I could move around and stay afloat as long as I could hang on to that blue rubber ball. So anyways, one day we were there, and I remember it was a beautiful sunny day, not a cloud in the sky. The quarry had a few other people there, but mostly, it was just me and my parents, your oma and opa. They were on the beach and I was out in the water with my blue rubber ball, kicking my legs and swimming out in the deep water. And then suddenly, it slipped. The blue rubber ball that was supposed to be my life preserver, off it was gone. And I flopped around for a bit and then started to sink. My dad's eyes were glossy, looking far away in thought at a memory. Over the years, he did that more and more, lost in remembering, and I wondered later if he was recalling what it felt like to be sinking down into the murky cold water of that quarry, looking up at the surface so far away and unable to get there. I remember that feeling of drowning. What a horrible feeling. All you want is to take a breath of air, but you can't. You're stuck down there and you can't breathe. I couldn't call for my mom to help me or my dad. I was just down there in the cold water, waiting to die. I don't remember how long I was down there, but he rescued me. The man I had never seen before. He was dressed all in white, I remember that. I remember seeing him standing there in his white suit, soaking wet and wondering who this strange man was dressed all in white. My dad liked to tell me stories when I couldn't sleep. And that one was one of my favorites, the mysterious man in white who had saved him from drowning. I wouldn't be alive without the man in white. I owed him my life as well. That wasn't my father's only brush with death. He told my brother and I a hundred stories, a thousand. The Hobbit and the Hitchhiker's Guide, all the prerequisite works of fiction needed for a lifetime of nerdom. Another time I was having trouble sleeping, he told me the story of his accident on the Autobahn. His friend driving this super VW Beetle they had crafted with a Porsche engine under the hood, a black devil with a top hat printed on the side of it. They had been driving too fast in icy weather and he said he remembered a military convoy passing them. Then his friend suddenly lost control. The top heavy car tipped over and began to spin on its roof on the ice. He said he was in a coma for four weeks after that before waking up. He'd tell that story and point to his palms, his fingers, or to the bags under his eyes. I just pulled out a little piece of glass the other day. I still find them, little shards in my skin, all these years later. Sometimes I think about that. All those little pieces of glass living in his body. How strange it would feel to pull a shard of a windshield from your finger or out from under your eye after all those years. He always told me it didn't hurt. I was plagued by night terrors for many years, horrifying nightmares that would dissolve from my memory upon waking. All I would remember usually was the terror I felt. But one particular dream was so horrifying and awful that I couldn't help but recall it despite my mind's efforts to repress it, the dreams I had of my parents dying. My fear of the death of my parents was completely irrational, most would think, but to me it was entirely justified. My cousin's parents would drop him off on our doorstep and then go off on benders and would disappear for weeks at a time, leaving my parents to take care of him. 
Perhaps part of me saw that and wondered, what would happen to me if they disappeared? Who would take care of me? The simple answer was, no one. If my parents were gone, I would be left alone with my disjointed extended family who didn't even care enough to take care of their own kids. The thought of that subconsciously scared me more than any horror movie. It got so bad that I couldn't concentrate in school. I was up all night long, afraid to fall asleep. If I did manage a little bit of rest, I would wake up screaming and crying and wouldn't be able to get back to sleep again after that. So my dad decided to teach me a trick. He showed me how to have lucid dreams. He told me he taught himself the trick by reading a book about it after having recurring dreams about the man in white. He said he had wanted a way to control the dreams since he couldn't get away from that memory of drowning. For those who don't know, lucid dreaming means that while you're asleep, you recognize you are dreaming and take control. You can fly around the world if you want to. You can vanquish your nightmares with a single thought. You can bring your parents back from the dead. The trick was simple. Every so often during the day, while you're awake, you ask yourself, is this a dream? And you just keep doing that over and over and over until eventually you start doing it in your dreams. During a nightmare, you'll find yourself asking, is this a dream? And that's when you can answer, yes. You destroy those vampire demons who are hunting you with a fireball spell, if you so desire, because you have the power when you're lucid dreaming. That ended up getting rid of my nightmares pretty much forever. I still have the odd one, but I can catch it in its tracks by asking myself, is this a dream? I walked into the coffee shop. My dad was being held upright by my uncle. They were sitting in a booth at the back of the place where we were going to meet to talk. My mom was there too, sitting across from them, looking wide-eyed and nervous. It wasn't just my uncle that was holding him upright, it was how he was holding him upright. He was holding up his chin, trying to force it upwards. Confused, I walked over and saw the color of my dad's face was all wrong, pale and grayish. His eyes were closed and he was making noises like he was sleeping. Someone was standing behind my mom saying she was on the phone with her own mother and that she was a doctor. What happened? I asked. He just closed his eyes and put his chin down and we haven't been able to get him to wake up. My mom said. She also had her cell phone in her hand and was talking to 911. Are they sending an ambulance? Yes, I think so. I lifted his eyelids up one by one and looked underneath. The pupils were fixed. The snoring sounds had suddenly stopped. Tell them his pupils are fixed. I don't think he's breathing. They need to send an ambulance right now. Tell them right now. I put my fingers up to his neck to feel for a pulse. There wasn't one. We need to get him down on the ground and start doing CPR. He doesn't have a pulse. I told my uncle who was still holding up his chin with all his effort and only being partially successful. The stranger behind my mom shouted that her mother the doctor didn't think that was a good idea. I don't remember what I said back to her, but it probably wasn't anything pleasant. And we continued with our efforts, bringing his body gently down to the filthy tile floor of the old coffee shop we were in. People around us began to move tables out of the way. Others began to clear out of the restaurant entirely. I saw my brother and my wife standing a little ways away, looking over at us, and I felt like I was in a dream. But I knew I was not. Give him breaths, I told my uncle. Two. He bent over and put his face up to my dad's, his brother-in-law, and gave two chestfuls of life-saving air into his lungs. 
I put my hands on my father's sternum and did thrust with my palms and sang the song in my head. Ah, 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 staying alive. 100 beats per minute. The ambulance took a while to arrive. I pushed down on his chest over and over until my arms started to grow tired and I began to pour sweat from my forehead. No, 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 please, no. My worst nightmare, my greatest fear, it was all coming true. And then we got his rhythm back. I could feel it in my fingertips weak, but there, he suddenly took a huge, gasping breath and then another. Dad, Dad, can you hear me? Nothing. 90% of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest patients die. We had gotten to him quickly, at least. The paramedics arrived and we were kneeling on the floor, frozen in place as they walked in. I was unsure what to do next. He had just been breathing. He had just had a heartbreak. I had felt it. I told them what had happened. It felt like they were moving in slow motion as they got in place around his body and began to put ECG stickers on his chest. Everything they were doing seemed to be taking so long, and I wanted to tell them, hurry, hurry, he was dying a second ago, he might still be, can't you see that? No pulse. I heard the guy closest to me say, his shirt had the word supervisor on it. They started doing compressions again, his body heaved up and down, and I watched, now helpless. Can you hold this? The EMS worker closest to me asked, holding out the ECG box, asking if I could tilt it to show the paramedic. I said, of course, whatever they needed. The coffee shop was empty now, except for my family. And the man in white. He stood in the corner of the shop near my brother, watching. I wanted to ask him for help. To do something to save my dad like he had done when he was younger. All those years before when the blue rubber ball had slipped away from him at the quarry. I looked down to see that the EMS worker had gotten his rhythm back again. Suddenly, and when I looked up, the man in white was gone as if he had never been there at all. But I had seen him there, I'm sure of it. You know you probably just saved his life. The paramedic said to me outside the coffee shop. I nodded, unable to speak with sudden tears in my eyes, hoping he was right. We followed the ambulance to the hospital and when we got inside they told us gently to go into a room in the back. It looked like a doctor's lounge of some sort. The noisy clock in the room ticked counting the seconds as we waited for news. I kept exchanging nervous glances with my mom who was saying to keep praying. He was going to be okay, right? Eventually, a doctor came in and told us things weren't looking good. They had lost his rhythm again in the ambulance and had gotten it back a few times since then, but were running out of options. We insisted on going out to see him. I saw him hooked up to lines and wires and looking no better than above, only worse, fresh blood splattered on him. A bag breathing into his mouth, my living nightmare, his living nightmare. He would have never wanted this, I couldn't help but think to myself. He died a little while later, and I realized it had all been for nothing. They told us he had a massive heart attack, there was nothing any of us could have done. But I remember him now, I try to forget that day. The terror I felt and my worst fears coming true. I try to remember the good times we had together, playing golf working on cars together, talking about music and comedy and religion and politics, cooking together, laughing together, all the things that made me so afraid to lose him. Most of all, I miss his stories, especially the one about the time he was saved by the man in the white suit. Mm -hmm.